carried Stephen to his burial and made great lamentation over him. As for Saul, he made havoc of the church, entering every house and dragging off men and women, committing them to prison. Therefore, those who were scattered went everywhere preaching the word. Then Philip went down to the city of Samaria and preached Christ to them. And the multitudes with one accord heeded the things spoken by Philip, hearing and seeing the miracles which he did. For unclean spirits, crying with a loud voice, came out of many who were possessed, and many who were paralyzed and lame were healed. And there was great joy in that city. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it's supernatural. We thank you that it's all that we need it to be and more. We thank you that it'll outlive the heavens and the earth. We're grateful that it'll accomplish every purpose it's sent to accomplish. We're grateful that it's sharper than any two-edged sword. And we're thankful that it'll pierce through everything in us that it needs to pierce through to accomplish your purposes. So now we submit ourselves to you and your word. We sit at your feet. We want to be taught by your spirit. We want to hear the message that you have for us, Lord. Again, we are grateful for your faithfulness in birthing this church and sustaining it. We are grateful, Lord, for for your spirit's uh, empowerment and your grace to keep us right where we need to be. And we're excited and looking forward to what you have for us in the future. We know it's wonderful. Help us to stay out of the way and help us to not help help us to not try to help you out. You don't need us, Lord. We are grateful to be your servants, though. So we commit this time to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. As we're celebrating this five-year anniversary of our, the birth of Calvary Chapel Manteca, and we're celebrating what the Lord's done in the lives and through the lives of the Searle family as they go out, uh, as they're being sent out today. I was praying and seeking the Lord related to if there was a special message that he may want me to share related to those things. And I was totally content with remaining in Hebrews chapter 11 or starting Hebrews chapter 11 like we were scheduled to start because what better chapter to look at related to the birth of this church and the Searles going out is the chapter on faith and going out and doing things that make no sense to the natural mind that God can take us and, and help us and give us the capacity to trust him, believe him for the impossible and watch him do the work. That would have been an entirely appropriate chapter to go through, but the Lord directed my heart in a different place. And, and, and as I was thinking, considering these things, he got me thinking about how he how he accomplishes his work, specifically how he births works of God. I love watching new ministries start. I love watching churches be birthed. I love watching people step out in faith. This week, I got to be at the Senior Pastors Conference with Chris and Reuben, and I got to see some School of Ministry students from our School of Ministry at Calvary Chapel Modesto. And every year, it's such a blessing to be able to see those guys. I think there's four or five of them that are senior pastors now that came out of the school. And I just love to see fruit and see it the, the kind of fruit that remains, that the Lord produces. Only he could produce that kind of fruit. We have no capacity in ourselves to make that kind of thing happen. And so as I think about this work, how God birthed this work five years ago, 
And as Chris is leaving to do a great work in Hawaii, it started me thinking, you know, how does it work? How does, it, how does he do that? How does he accomplish that? Uh, how, what mechanisms does he, what methods, how proficient is he in doing it? He's great at doing it. One thing that I like to remind myself is that 70 to 80% of new churches fail in the first one to two years. I didn't like that statistic at all before we started. Unfortunately, I knew about it. I wish I wouldn't have known about it, but I did. And you think, God, you know, is this really you? Is this, are you really causing this to happen? Are you, because there are times where that's shaken in you to the very core of who you are. Could this really be your will? Are you really going to, is it really true that you're building your church? Or is it really true that nothing that's, that the, the enemy has or hell itself has can withstand the forward progression of the church going forward? Well, he's building it. He's building the church. I don't know that Jesus ever had a problem or God ever had a problem with building anything. When he wants to build something, he builds it. When he wants to create something, he creates it. When he wants to sustain something, he sustains it. So why would it be any different for his church? If he's building his church, nothing can get in the way of it. But I thought it would be important to look as we look at this passage and another passage related to some principles or some methods of how he accomplishes it. And I, thought, I think it's important because as we understand how he works, it helps us to not, um, you know, uh, get in the way of it. We can get in the way of how he wants to work in our lives. We, can, we all want his will, but we cannot understand how he works in, related to the church. And so because of that, we can kind of be an impedance to what he wants to do. But secondly, also, as we go through our lives and collectively as a body, as a family, and as individuals... Sometimes he works in such a way and he allows certain things that can stumble us. And so often he, that can lead, unfortunately, to bitterness. And he doesn't want that for us. And so often when he's doing those things, he's actually doing something bigger. You ever had God do something or allow something in your life and you were thrown off by it later on down the road? Because we know that hindsight is twenty twenty. We see God all over it and we see his purposes and why he allowed it what he's working in our lives is that we will see that and recognize that through the eyes of faith before we ever get to the hindsight so that we honor him before we go out we thank him in advance for what he's going to do before we go and do the thing that's true worship that's true honoring him with our faith that's what those in the hall of faith as we'll look at uh, lord willing next week that's what they did they focused on everything before the fulfillment of it. Many of them, as we'll see, they never got to enjoy the fulfillment of what was promised until they went to be with God. So I want to look at that, and I, and I, and I entitled this message, Two Ways Jesus Births New Works. And I want us to begin by looking at verse 1. He says, Now Saul was consenting to his death. At that time, a great persecution arose against the church, which was at Jerusalem, and, there were, and, and they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria except the apostles. Now, who is this uh, his there before the word death in verse 1, consenting to his death? It's Stephen. Stephen was the first martyr. And as we're told in, in, in chapter 7, in the previous chapter, there were witnesses that, uh, that laid down their clothes at the feet of a young man named Saul. Saul had said in the beginning of, of uh, uh, Galatians, I believe, he said that he was a Pharisee of Pharisees. And basically he was saying that it, what, he, what the Lord um, allowed him to do in his unbelief, uh, 
He accomplished a lot in religious circles, but he counted that as worthless. But he accomplished a lot. He was a very influential and powerful Pharisee. And he likely was a member of the Sanhedrin. He consented to, to Stephen's death. He voted to cast his vote, so to speak. And so then there was this persecution that arose in the, in the early church. And it was different. It wasn't just any persecution. It was entirely different than what had happened before up to that point. What happened before up to that point is that people stepped out in obedience to God, namely the apostles and Stephen and so forth, and they were used by God, and then there was a reaction to that, and they were persecuted. This is entirely different. Now they just started a broad persecution. You didn't have to be out in the forefront doing something for God. You just had to be a Christian, and then they were coming after you. That had never happened in the history of the early church up to this point. This persecution is where we see the first of Jesus' methods in birthing the church. And that's what we're going to look at in this passage. And that his methods is that sometimes he allows hardship and he uses hardship to birth new works. What's interesting about this is that at this time, the church is about six years old at this point. Sometimes it's hard for us to recognize that because we could read through the book of Acts in a very short amount of time, but all the events in the book of Acts occurred over a period of about 30 years. So at this point, there had already been years that have, that has gone by that it may not be uh, super obvious on the surface, but they had been serving the Lord and worshiping the Lord in, in Jerusalem for this time, and they they were happy where they were at. They were comfortable. The center of everything spiritual was in Jerusalem. Why would they leave? I mean, if you go to Jerusalem today as a believer and you're seeing everything there, you understand just in a small, in a small way how impressive that would be to them. And as we've been looking at Hebrews, these, this is, these Hebrew believers are, you know, 60 years after this time or really late into uh, the, the church or way past this point. They're tempted to go back. That temple's still there. Temple is going to be there from this point for many decades so they're, they're really into Jerusalem, and the apostles are there, and everything's going on there. And so why would they leave? They enjoyed everything that was going on at the point. I mean, there was some persecution, but it had been very limited up to this point. There was this little uh, nagging thing called the Great Commission that Jesus had already had given them. Oh, yeah, I remember about that. The Great Commission. Jesus said, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem. And it didn't stop there. <laughs> in Jerusalem, in all Judea, in Samaria, and to the end of the earth. It's easy for any of us to think, well, I'm not called to this. Other people are called and many times they are, but sometimes it's us. And maybe they were all assuming, okay, we remember what Jesus said, but that's probably for other people. That's not really for us. So they stayed in Jerusalem. The problem with, with that is that there were lost souls outside of Jerusalem. God is a seeking and saving God. He's willing that none should perish, but all come to repentance. Abraham's descendants, Abraham was told, would be as numerous as the sands of the seashore. That, that, that goes beyond the population of uh, Jerusalem there. And so this had been God's heart all along. And this is what the disciples didn't think about. But God had said it all through their history. In Isaiah chapter 49, verse 6, listen to this. He says, Isaiah speaking by the Spirit says, Indeed, he says, 
It is too small a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to restore the preserved ones of Israel. I will also give you as a light to the Gentiles that you should be my salvation to Jerusalem. No, nope, doesn't say that. Be my salvation to the ends of the earth. That's how far God's heart extended. He wanted the whole world. God so loved the world, not Jerusalem. He wanted, he wanted all the people to know him. And the psalmist writes in Psalm 117, verse 1, Praise the Lord, all you Gentiles. Laud him, all you peoples. Can you imagine a Jew reading that? Praise the Lord, all you what? <laughs> Gentiles? Are you kidding me? Those are dogs. That's not possible. Could that be in God's heart? And then when the Lord Jesus had his public ministry, you know, the lady said, you know, even the dogs get the crumbs that come off the table. And, you know, the disciples were seeing that. And they erroneously thought that Jesus didn't have a heart for Gentiles. But he did. He just knew that he would use the apostles and those that came after them to reach the Gentiles. They made that big mistake. But they learned. Peter learned chapter uh, 10 regarding Cornelius. God was gracious to incrementally, slowly lead them to reach out to Samaritans, which are half-breeds, so to speak. I mean, there was a mixture of Jew and other, other nationalities. And then, then there was a, a, you know, the Gentile that was a, 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 a you know, a, a proselyte or proselyte. You know what I'm talking about, convert, a fear, God-fear and, uh, with Cornelius. So he wasn't quite completely a Gentile. And then everything broke loose after that. And it was just purely the Gentiles were being reached. The church was always intended to be kind of like a FedEx shipping center. You ever gone to FedEx? It used to be, I believe, uh, Kinko's, but now it's FedEx shipping center, and you go there, and you prepare your packages, and then you ship them off. And there's mail going out from there all over the world. But this was kind of, the way this was is at this point, it was like a FedEx shipping center that was only sending out local mail. Everything just went to Jerusalem. Around, around and around and around in Jerusalem. No regional shipments going out. No regional mail. For sure, no international mail was going out. The church was just focused just on Jerusalem. And that, that God didn't want that. And so that's what we see in this passage. And he says the word scattered there in verse 1. And notice it's also there in verse 4. It's a very important word. Scattered. It doesn't appear here by accident. It's a very specific word. It literally means to sow seed. We use the word broadcast in the context of media. You know, our broadcast will end at this time, or welcome to our broadcast, you know. And, but it was first used before all of that to describe sowing seed. The farmer would take that seed and he would spread it out, and he would be broadcasting the seed. And that's the word that's used here. The original writers would know exactly what Luke was saying by the Spirit when he used this word in Greek to describe sowing seed. They were scattered like seed. The believers in Jerusalem were God's seed, and the persecution was used by God to plant them in new soil so that they would bear much fruit. So really, Jesus in Acts chapter 8 verse 1 worked in such a way that the disciples would obey Acts chapter 1 verse 8. That's how you can remember it, because that's when he promised and, and told them they're going to be witnesses to him. And so that was very hard for them. Look, what, look at verse 3. He says, as for Saul, he made havoc of the church, entering every house and dragging off men and women, committing them to prison. This is a very difficult time in the history of God's people. 
This word made havoc there in the Greek was used to describe a, a wild animal that was physically ravaging another animal and, and tearing the flesh. That's the, that's the picture. I remember as a kid watching Mutual of Omaha, Wild Kingdom, with Marlon Perkins and his assistant Jim. Jim always was responsible for shooting the darts. I don't know why, but that was his job. And Marlon Perkins, Perkins was the zoologist, hanging back, educating, talking, and then Jim, poof, and he would hit that, those, those animals right in the hiney, and they'd go down. And I thought that was so cool that they could take down a big buffalo or whatever just with a little tiny dart. I was actually, you know, fantasizing how I could maybe get one of those. There were some kids at school I wanted to test that out on. But, you know, they, but on that show, I would watch it and I would be amazed on what they would show. I'm like, why don't you censor some of this? I mean, this is just carnage of just animals shredding with their sharp teeth, the flesh of other animals and the sound and everything. And, oh, it was horrible. That's the picture, but it's spiritual savagery here. The Apostle Paul, before he was the Apostle Paul, when he was Saul, he shredded the flesh spiritually of Christians. Paul's own words in Acts 26, verses 10 and 11 was this. This is his own testimony. This is after he was saved. He said, This I also did in Jerusalem, and many of the saints I shut up in prison having received authority from the chief priests. And when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them. And I punished them often in every synagogue and compelled them to blaspheme. And being exceedingly enraged against them, I persecuted them even to foreign cities. It's easy to pass over how difficult this was. We don't have any frame of reference for that in our country. That persecution is not like that here whatsoever. But let's put ourselves in their shoes. Let's put ourselves in their... I mean, your family's getting ripped apart. There are people dying in your family. You are getting thrown into prison. You never know if you're ever going to see your children again. And and this was all at the hands of someone that thought he was doing God a favor or doing justice to the cause of the law of Moses and Judaism by doing that. Could they have thought, "How, how could you allow this God? Could they have thought, you know, doesn't he see what's happening? People are getting killed. Families are getting ripped apart. Doesn't he see? Doesn't he understand? He's allowing it. He isn't causing it, but he's allowing it. He's all-powerful. For what purpose? He says he's in control of all things. Do you feel that way today? What you're going through? It's easy for us to divorce ourselves from the passage and say, because we don't go through persecution, we're not going through incredible, difficult hardship And what's important for us to see is he uses that so many times to birth a work of the Spirit. In the middle of our trial, in the middle of our difficulty, ministry opportunities popping up left and right in the context of difficulty. We can forget that some of his best packaging that he packages in to be FedEx somewhere and be sent somewhere to be used is, is the, the packaging of suffering and the packaging of being in need and being uh, an incredible, difficult time. This church was birthed in, in a trial. I was a part of the School of Ministry at Calvary Chapel Modesto, and the Holy Spirit clearly said that this ministry is done. I knew it was from the Lord. I knew it. And I was devastated. I was discipling men, among other pastors, discipling men that were going to do incredible things for God. 
I've already seen God use me in that way. I've, I had hoped that it would be 10, 15, 20 years maybe I'd get a chance to do that and have such a huge amount of people that had been raised up from that and be used and all that was being taken away. When the Holy Spirit revealed that to me, I wept. It was hard. I could have easily thought, Lord, what are you doing? This is, you know, you've left me. You've turned your back on me. This is what you've called me to do. I've gone through so much pain and suffering to get to be usable in this way where I could be trusted with this ministry, and now you're taking it away. But God's grace was there to encourage my heart. This is of me. I'm shutting this down. I'm doing something new, and I didn't know what it was. And over a, a many months of prayer and seeking him, he made it very clear that this is what he wanted to do. And I never, ever thought I would be a senior pastor or plant a church, ever. Never wanted that. The closer I got to seeing what that entails, it scared me and didn't want really much to do with, with that. Now we think of Chris. Why is Chris going out today? Why are the Searle family going out? He hurt his knee. He's a fireman. He hurt his knee. And he had to med be medically retired there. Very difficult. It was birthed in something that happened he wouldn't prefer. And through that, God has birthed something new. We don't know what it's going to be. It's like Philip being called away from Samaria, the success of Samaria, to say, go to Gaza. He doesn't know what he's doing. He gets to Gaza, and he sees the chariot. He sees that Ethiopian eunuch. And what's he do? This has been the word, I believe, for Chris, that I've shared this with him, to run to that chariot, to run to it. That's what he told me about this church. Once I had that confirmation that I've heard from him, he told me to run to that chariot as fast as I could, and the, as fast as I ran to that chariot, he would open doors, like as if I'm running through a long hallway, and as ever, right before I get to each doorway, he swings open another door, another door, another door, another door, and that's what happened. I couldn't believe it. Sat before Pastor Damien. I believe the Lord's called me to plan a church. Would you prayerfully consider sending me? Will it be a Calvary Chapel? Yeah. It will. It's, it's going to be a Calvary Chapel. Not that he wouldn't send me otherwise. We just wanted to know. And, I, and, and, and he said, and I was thinking, okay, he's going to be taking a while. I'll take this to prayer. Uh, it's going to be, you know, just let me seek the Lord. And, what, you know, it was immediate. Yes, I sense the Spirit's in this. Are you sure you don't want to pray about this? It's a big thing. No, the Spirit's in this. Okay, well, um, I didn't expect that. Uh, well, the, we have a staff meeting in about 45 minutes. Can I let the pastors know? Oh, absolutely. Hmm. Can I uh, put out a, a memo to the staff and let everybody know after I let the pastors know? Oh, sure, absolutely. Anything you need, we're behind you. I was running towards the chariot as fast as I could. He was opening doors. I believe it was that Sunday that Dave Miller said, I'm, I'm, God told me to be your worship leader. I never heard Dave lead worship before. You know, I'm thankful it worked out well. You know, but God just, and then he led Pastor Jeff Lovelady to, to, to be, a, even before he knew what it was, he knew something was going on and he goes, hey, whatever it is, can I be your assistant? Can I help? He's amazing. And, and so I just stepped out and God just did an amazing work, but it was in spite of myself and it was because he honored faith and he honored, you know, where, where he was bringing me. And, but it was hard. It was very hard. Difficult. And I know it's going to be hard for the Searle family as they go out. It's going to be difficult. But God's going to be faithful and he's going to build a testimony in them regarding his faithfulness. You know, when we first started, we, I, we couldn't afford it for a sound system. I had to rent one. I had to put it in the back of my truck for three months and bring it back and check it back out, you know, from the sound place. And 
Finally, the Lord provided enough funds for us to get a sound system. All that is used by the Lord to give us a testimony of his faithfulness. Just like your kids. You send your kids out. You don't do everything for them. That wouldn't be loving for them. But, you, but you, they, want, they need to see God's faithfulness and, and they need to see hard work. Ministry is often birthed in hardship. Think of Joseph. Man, talk about difficulty. The famine and being thrown in jail and all these things. And these prison and falsely accused and all that. And he said at the end, you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. So even things that people mean for evil, God can use and do a great work. And he did. And he's going to continue to do that. Now he says in verse 4, Therefore, those who were scattered went everywhere, preaching the word. Then Philip went down to the city of Samaria and preached Christ to them. Now, there were three results of Philip's obedience in these verses, in verses 6 through 8. That people heeded Philip's message, that people were healed and delivered, and that there was great joy in the city. And he says that in verse 6 through 8. He says, And the multitudes with one accord heeded the things spoken by Philip, hearing and seeing the miracles which he did, For unclean spirits, crying with a loud voice, came out of many who were possessed, and many who were paralyzed and lame were healed. And there was great joy in that city. Wouldn't it have been great if Philip knew about verses 6 through 8 before he left? You think he would have wanted that? Absolutely he would have wanted that. We want the end written for us to read about before we go so we can have the guarantee that it's going to succeed. But that's not the life of faith. There are so many lessons to learn, and there's so much value in ventures of faith. I had no idea what would happen if we planted, tried to plant this church. No idea. Zero. Really, nothing has really happened except uh, God's faithfulness. Nothing's really happened that I expected. It's all happened differently than what I thought. But it's, all, but it's been better than what I could have imagined. The Searle family have no idea how God's going to use them in Hawaii, but it's going to be better than they can possibly imagine. God doesn't make mistakes. He does all things well. It doesn't stop. He continues to be glorified through our lives as we yield to him. Now, the second method of how Jesus births new works is found in Acts 13. Turn there, and you don't need to hold your place in Acts 8 anymore. Turn to Acts chapter 13 to the right, a few chapters, where we're going to see another way that God births new works. Acts chapter 13, let's begin in verse 1. Now in the church that was at Antioch, there were certain prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Menean, who had been brought up with, with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. As they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Spirit said, Now separate to me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then having fasted and prayed and laid hands on them, They sent them away. Notice, first of all, in verse 1, Saul is listed last in the list of leaders. (laughs) You see that? The end of verse 1, all these guys, prophets and teachers, and and Saul. (laughs) You know, and Saul. Just, Just a guy. I mean, he was called by God, but he wasn't the Apostle Paul yet. He wasn't known, known as that yet. He wasn't this great church planter yet, hadn't gone on one missionary journey yet, no miracles. But God had already used him. He'd been faithful in Damascus and other places. Yet we think that Paul was this super saint from day one. But he wasn't. Whatever we would think is insignificant place in the body of Christ, maybe he started out that way among God's people. I mean, I know he was sharing his faith and so forth. 
But maybe he was someone that we would consider, you know, in our erroneous thinking, not that significant. He was just Saul. And he had a horrible, think of all the baggage he had to deal with and get past. With this, I mean, being like the equivalent of Hitler, you know, I mean, doing so much damage to them. God was working grace in and through his life and his heart. And so he was there serving. And so he wasn't this person that we think. And we shouldn't think that because we consider ourselves small or little or insignificant that God can't greatly use us. Do you think that you're any less called than the Apostle Paul was? All of us are called. All of us are called in the ministry. You youth that are here, you can wake up now. There you go. God has a calling on your life. You can hear from God just as much as we can. He's gifted you just as much as he's gifted us. What is he going to have you do? Are you going to be our missionaries? Are you going to be pastors or leaders? Are you going to be serving with the gift of helps, the gift of prophecy, the gift of word of wisdom, healings, administration, discerning of spirits? Where's God going to place you? You're just as valuable in God's eyes as any of us. And we have great expectations for you. Not because of who you are, but because of how great God is. And because you're being raised up correctly in your homes and in this church. So don't put any limitations on what God wants to do through you. But that's true for all of us. We see, you know, we're at the pastor's conference and we're seeing, you know, all these guys are my heroes, you know. And we see these guys that have been greatly used in our lives. I think of Chris, you know, wanting to see Raul Reese and thank him and everything. And we're there and Chris turns around and Raul's there. Tears. Then Raul's crying. And they give each other a hug and everything. They had never met before. There was a connection by the Spirit because God had used Raul Reese in, in Chris's life. That happened over and over and over again in different contexts. And my encouragement to my own heart and to them was, you're just as called as Raul Reese is, and God wants to use you the same as he'd use anybody. Don't put any limitations on what he wants to do in and through your life. Rise up, not wise up. That has to happen first. You have to wise up before you can rise up. Maybe that's, no, let's not even have that be a sermon title. That'd be horrible. That'd be a train wreck. That'd be a train wreck. But, that, but we put limitations on what God can do. Are you sitting here today and you think that God can only do a certain amount through your life? You, you, you have no Bible for that. You have no scripture for that. If I try, give me a verse for that. There's no verse that says God has limitations on you because of your past or what you're dealing with or what you're struggling. There is no limitation to how he, want, he can use your life. None of those people in the Hall of Faith that we're going to be studying started out saying they're, they're just so wonderful and great and wait till the world gets a little piece of what I have to bring to the table. Most of them were just normal people, just like all of us. Those of us, that just, we shop at Walmart. We're just regular people. You know, we're, we're just average folk. And God takes a life and he uses us. He uses the foolish things of this world to confound the wise so that he'll get glory when he does something through our lives. You know how long I wanted to have a college degree? I thought that that would bring something and I've thought many times to go back, and maybe he'll lead me to do that. But up to this point, he hasn't done that. He said, you don't need that. I've, with my calling that I've called you, you don't need that. And that's been a great thing and been a hard thing to accept. He does not want us to put limits on him. This church is ready for Act 2. We've gone through Act 1. Now it's a whole other act, so to speak. Who knows what God wants to do? And if there are those of us that are putting limitations on what he wants to do through our lives, this church won't be what he wants it to be. We have to go where he wants us to go. We don't get to choose how far we grow. 
We can't just say, you know, I'm comfortable there. I, I, you know, I know the word this much and I'm good. I'm serving this much and I'm fine and I'm content as if it's up to us. We've been purchased. We've been bought with a price. We're not our own anymore. He owns us. We're bond servants. He gets to use our lives how he wants to use our lives. So if we take up our cross daily and follow him, then he gets to lead us where he wants us to go. We get to be mature as he wants us to, as much as he wants us to be mature. And then he'll, he'll receive the glory. We're also told in verse 2 that the leaders were ministering to the Lord and fasted. That's interesting. How do you minister to God? He ministers to us. He serves us. How do you minister to God? You minister to God by seeking his face and, and following hard after him in worship and, and calling upon his name. Back when I was praying about what was next for me at Calvary Chapel Modesto, I prayed. I may have even fasted. It takes a lot for me to stop eating, so that would have been significant. <laughs> but I sought the Lord, and he answered. The Searles prayed, prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed for months, and the Lord answered. The Lord was gracious to open up one financial door, and where God guides, God provides. And where he's not providing, he's not guiding. It goes the same direction, inverted. So he had one job opportunity, and he needs work. He needs finance, finances, and a, and a great opportunity opened up in Hawaii for him. And so that kind of worked through him seeking the Lord and in, in praying. The reason why I turned, had us turn to this passage is that Jesus' second method that we see here is that Jesus revealed his plan directly by the Holy Spirit. God spoke. And he said here, the Holy Spirit, notice, the Holy Spirit said, the Spirit's a person. He speaks. The Holy Spirit said. In other words, this wasn't man's plan. This wasn't make a five-year plan, a 10-year plan, a 15-year plan, and, you know, figure it all out. This is the Holy Spirit's plan. And he said, notice, now separate to me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Notice the word separate. Do you think that, that this church loved Barnabas and Saul? Yes. There had to be a separation, though. I had to be separated, and the team had to be separated from Calvary Chapel Modesto. There had to be a fine line of, there needs to be a severing. Even though they sent us, and there is a relationship, there needs to be getting off the umbilical cord, so to speak, or flying out of the nest, however, whatever illustration you want. There needs to come a point where that line is drawn. And you need to separate. Same with Chris. He's going out. He's separating from us. And it's painful. Very painful. You've seen that uh, demonstrated today. But it's necessary. He tells the leaders to separate, purposely separate from Barnabas and Saul. It was under their prerogative to do or not to do. And notice to whom they were separated. The Holy Spirit says this. He says, to me. Did you catch that? He says, to me, separate to me. Wow. He doesn't say separate to me, these guys, to a place, to a geographical area, to a task. He said separate to me. They were going to God's care. They were going to God's resources. They were going to God's provision. The ultimate recipient of these prepared spiritual FedEx packages was God himself was the recipient he was preparing them, but he put his address on the two 
part of the, of the package. You're going to me. You're being separated from here and you're going to me. Jesus always goes with us. He said he'll never leave us nor forsake us. What did he say in the Old Testament? I am with you. That's all that mattered to these Old Testament saints, that God, you're with me. That's all that's ever mattered. You can call me anywhere, but I'm taking you with me. And you're on the receiving end. You're on the sending end, but you're on the receiving end. We can pass that up in that verse. Separate to me, Barnabas and Saul. And notice, for the work. It's work. It's work. Ministry is work. And if you don't think it's work, you're in the wrong frame of mind. We're told in Ephesians chapter 4 that the leaders equip the saints for the work of ministry. It's work. That's why I'm saying, talking about how does he, what methods does he use to birth new works. They're, they're works of God. God does the work and we get to participate in that. Notice in verse 2, we see who's calling them. He says, the work to which I have called them. And we see it again in verse 4 where it says, being sent out by the Holy Spirit. It wasn't ultimately sent out by these leaders or the church of Antioch. It was being sent out by the Holy Spirit. I have the work to which I have called them. Man does not call. It was no man's idea for me and the team to come here. It was not man's idea for the Searle family to go to Hawaii. And God needs the freedom among us to call the shots, to lead, to guide. Sometimes some of you think that it's up to me to decide certain things in this fellowship, which there is some aspect of that, but I'm waiting for God to reveal his will. It's not my church, it's his church. I don't get to decide. People have served in positions that I, he made it clear they need to be in that position. It wouldn't have been someone that I would have chosen because my lack of insight, but later on I see, oh wow, he knew what he was doing. It's the Holy Spirit that puts these things on people's hearts. It's him. He's the one that calls. He's the one that does the work. And we have to remember that. Now, lastly, as we see in verse 3, they prayed and fasted again. Notice that. He says, then having fasted and prayed and laid hands on them, they sent them away. That's what happened with, with me and my family five years ago. We got up on that stage, and, and Pastor Damien was there. My son was messing with everything on the stage, not paying attention, being so young. It was pretty funny. Just doing all kinds of stuff. I thought he was going to be doing cartwheels or something if we gave him enough time. But they came up around us and they prayed for us and they sent us out. That's what we did today with Chris and, and Mary and the, and the rest of the family. But why did they have to do that? Why did they have to fast and pray? Didn't the Holy Spirit already speak? What are they doing? He has, there, there has to be a confirmation. There has to be also a time, a point in time where you actually send them. You fast and you pray. You make sure you've heard from the Lord he confirms it. He's gracious to confirm it many times. And then you lay hands on them and you actually send them away. As it's been said, too many people, instead of being sent, they went. <laughs> you know, uh, there's protection for the body of Christ to have people be sent. It's a protection for them because they know that it's appropriate and it's right. But there's also protection for the people to whom they're going so that they can receive them well and they know that they're safe people. That, that's a biblical precedent here. Do you see it? And, and Paul, when he was Saul, didn't say, hey, didn't you hear my story, my testimony on the road to Damascus? Didn't you, didn't you hear who I saw and whose glory blinded me and outshone the, new, the, the midday sun in the Middle East? 
That's pretty bright. Don't you know who I am? I'm, I'm, I'm bigger than this. I'm, you, know, you don't have to pray. You don't have to fast again, especially, because I'm who I am. No, he submitted all of that. Anyone that's called biblically is submitted to the people that they've been given to to submit to, if that makes sense. Probably not. But in the context of the church, you don't see yourself above anybody. And you're submitted to the authority structure in which you find yourself. And Paul wasn't too, too big or too uh, you know, uh, self-confident at all to think that he was above that. It's, it's a huge, huge protection. This week, and I'm almost done, this week we, at the pastor's conference, we studied the Church of Philadelphia. Now Joe Foch, who pastors Calvary Chapel Philadelphia, taught... And of course, he's having to use a lot of self-control because it's one of the two churches that didn't have to be, didn't have to repent of anything. And so, but we're studying the church of Philadelphia and, and this is what it says there in part. It says, this is Jesus. These things says, he who is holy, he who is true, he who has the key of David, he who opens and no, he who opens and no one shuts and shuts and no one opens. I know your works. See, I've set before you an open door and no one can shut it. For you have little strength, have kept my word, and have not denied my name. You know, I know we have a lot of things to grow in, but we've done a good amount of those things. We, we've kept his word by God's grace. We have not denied his name. And I can relate to have little strength. And it's not a derogatory uh, term there. He's, he's saying you have little strength. That's good. That's good that you have little strength. You could have a lot less but, but, I mean, it, it, we, with little strength, can get a lot, of, lot, a lot of things done because we have a big God. You know, we, see, we talk about that little grain of, must, that's, you know, the grain of mustard seed or whatever, and, and if you have faith that size, you can throw a mountain into the sea. What's he saying? He's not saying we should have, try to get as much faith as we can. He's saying even a little trust in a big God can get a lot of things done. And that represents our fellowship. We're just representing loaves and fishes here. Just bringing what you have to him. And, and so as we think about receiving biblically, which we have, we've received families in the last few months, and we're sending families out. That, that's a New Testament church. Sending and receiving. Both have to be done biblically and graciously and appropriately. That's what we want to do. But who's going to be sent out from here? Who's next? Who's our missionaries? Who's our church planters? Who are the ones that are going to go do a great work that we're going to be laying hands on up here? It could be you. And we have to be open to whatever the Lord wants. And don't put any limitations. He specializes in using people like us to get glory. Are you understanding? I want to be so clear. He specializes. This is the body of Christ is the island of misfit toys. <laughs> in the, in Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. That's who we are. And he uses that to do great and massive things. Quit looking at your failures and your shortcomings and your perception of lack, of lack of gifts. He wants to use you. Yield to him. Follow hard after him. Who knows what he wants to do the next year, the next two years, the next five years, however long you know, he's going to tarry before he comes. We have to be sending and receiving and being, about, being busy about his business. Don't be stumbled by your physical infirmities or the trials that you're going through. He has great compassion, and so do we about that, those things. But look for the ministries. Look for the ministry opportunities. Look who's watching. Look who's coming to conclusions about your God based on your dependence upon him. 
And don't assume because things are difficult and hard that you're not supposed to be engaged in some ministries laid on your heart. Oftentimes the most powerful ministries are accomplished by those who are suffering the most. Look at what Paul went through. Look what he experienced. All those sufferings in 2 Corinthians that we see. Would we say that he is detriment, you know, a, a serving in a way that's detrimental to, to the work of God because he's suffering? No, he was even more powerful in the, in the grace of God. He said that you know, where he's weak, he is strong. When, when, when Paul is weak, God is strong and his grace is sufficient. His strength is made perfect in weakness. Some of those powerful works of God were birthed out of suffering and hardship and difficulty. Let him take your face and put it put, where he can see it like you do a child and say, you are just as called as everybody else. Go forward boldly by my grace and by my power and watch what I do. That's what, that's what he wants. That's what will bring him glory. That's the fruit that remains. And he wants fruit that remains. Let's pray together. Lord, we are so thankful that you call us out of darkness into your incredible light. If you didn't use the foolish things, Lord, none of us would have a chance. And I pray for these youth here. They've been poured into so much. And I pray that they wouldn't be bad managers of that which has been invested in them. I pray that they'd be busy about your business. And I pray that they would be depending upon you to do the miraculous through their lives. I pray, Lord, that they would greatly, greatly be used by you. And I pray for all the rest of us, Lord. Help us to not put any limitations on what you want to do through our lives. Thank you that you're such a big God. Thank you that you can do exceedingly, abundantly, above all we could ever ask or think. Thank you that you've given us all things that pertain to life and godliness. There's nothing that we're waiting on related to resources, Lord. You've given us all the resources we need. Help us all to follow hard after you, to take the things of you seriously, and to take up our cross daily and follow you. What a privilege it is to be a part of what you're doing, Lord. Thank you that you don't need us, but you want us. You want us to participate in what you're doing, like, like we do with our children working on something, Lord. We just, we just want to be with them, and we thank you that you want to be with us as we serve you. We pray that there would always be no explanation for this body than your Holy Spirit period. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together. <clears throat> if you're here this morning and you've never given your